when Japanese immigrants came to Hawaii, they actually created a flowered colored shirt. So it actually came from the Japan immigrants. Okay, wingman. Listen, you I want to thank you. <laughs> thank you, Brian, for taking the time to do this. Yes. I mean, I'm really happy to have you on here because I've wanted you on for a long time, but you've always, you know, you're here sometimes and you're gone. Yes. But now you're back. I'm back. For shoot, for good. I came back for good. You came back for good. You, yeah. Do you really think you'll stay here? But you're going to spend half the time here, half the time in Hawaii. Well, I think uh, wherever you are, you're there for good. You said that. You said that before when you used to wear your Hawaiian shirts, but. You wore them because you said you wanted people to understand, your family particularly. That's where you're going to go. There's also a connection to Japan because the Aloha shirt was actually created by Japanese. Is that right? The kimono was too warm for the Japanese climate. So 200 years ago or whenever it was, when Japanese immigrants came to Hawaii, they actually created a flowered colored shirt. So it actually came from the Japan immigrants. I didn't know that. They took that. kimonos and turned them into uh, a Hawaiian shirt. So that's that why you don't get a lot of locals per se necessarily wearing Aloha shirts. Because they know because, they, they well, know this, it's what? not necessarily a Hawaiian thing. It's more of a became labeled as the Hawaiian shirt exactly. or the Aloha shirt. Brian, where were you born? I was born in uh, Southern California. Is that right? Yes. You're a Cali guy. I am. Is that why you tried to push California. that artificial surf thing here that you're trying to do a couple of years ago? Well, I was Olympics? I was lucky enough to be associated with and still am now in my seventh year uh, working with the Kelly Slater Wave Company, okay. and uh, so we're out of San Diego. And we are a subsidiary of the World Surf League. Wow. And so that's a very, very fun project. And uh, there's, in California, you can see uh, the premier wave that was the first that was opened, I think it's uh, December of 2015. Right. And uh, they actually, the World Surf League now holds championship uh, contests, surfing competitions mm -hmm. on that wave. Oh. And so it's, it's wonderful. No, I've, I've seen that. And I've seen, and also some people even perform tricks on it. Of course. I've seen that because There's they get the waves up there. They want to let you now. know they can do it right. Well, one of the reasons why a, a, a wave like that, you can practice all the time. So if you want to practice doing 360 aerials and different moves, you can do that. You can videotape yourself. You can watch what you're doing wrong, watch what you're doing right. And so it's a whole different experience than the natural wave. Yeah. Um, so they, you, of course, the natural wave is always the natural wave and the best out there. Uh, but when it comes down to learning and training, uh, there's nothing better than a Kelly Slater wave. Right, because it's consistent every time. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. And we have uh, 50 different uh, types of waves that we can make okay. uh, because of the way that the, uh, the, the way that the wave stadium is set up. So you can actually, uh, the speed of the wave, the shape of the wave, the height of the wave. What's the highest wave you can make? Seven and a half feet. What? Um, you can probably go higher than that, but we were only working with a seven and a half foot wave that's a very nice size wave which also turns into a perfect tube okay yeah. what's the longest length what's the length uh over a minute long uh, you okay. can be riding the wave for over a kilometer oh that's a minute you can do one kilometer in a minute a little bit over a minute probably depends okay. on the okay. speed of the wave <laughs> all right, uh, right, right roughly a minute roughly a kilometer okay and it's this beautiful is... i highly recommend looking it online and no I'm, okay you look online competitions for now there's even been a netflix special done about it that's maybe where i saw it but i did see it online Oh. I think right after you told me about it, I looked it up. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Because when you told me. So I've been lucky to be involved with them uh, for the last... Seven uh, years. Going, this is my seventh year now. Wow. Do you have siblings? I do. Okay. How many? I have three. Older, younger? Two older, one younger. Are you guys close? We are relatively close. Uh, the only thing that keeps us apart is the locations. All right. Because everyone's in different locations. But you're really close to your father, right? Uh, that is true. Uh, we talk so. probably three, four times a week. You were born in California. Yes. And how long did you stay there before you moved? Yeah. Uh, because of my father's job, he worked for the IBM, right. and for humor, 
A lot of people used to say the itty bitty machine company, but then they changed it to be the I've been moved company. Right. And so a lot of people would ask you, are you military? Uh, when I tell them how many different places I've lived. And I said, no, my father works for IBM. And uh, through that, we moved about every 11 or 12 months. So I lived all over the United States uh, until the age of 15 before we moved to Japan. And then when you came here, you came to Tokyo. Came to Tokyo. And then you stayed here for how long? 15 to what? Well, my father was transferred here. Uh, I came here as a 15-year-old high school student, went to the American School in Japan, uh, which is American School in Japan, fabulous place. Went there for two years, graduated, and then went back to California. And then you went back to California and did what? Went to university. USC? I went to, well, I started off at Whittier College. Did you? I was actually not planning to go to university. And, uh, but after one year of being at Whittier, it's a smaller school. Uh, it's about 900 people at the time, including the faculty and staff. So you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the cafeteria with everybody. everybody. It's a very close-knit group. Is that a religious school? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, probably the number one thing it's known for is the Nixon Law Library. Uh, okay. But it's a liberal arts school in East Los Angeles. Very beautiful town called Whittier. And uh, I left after one year and went to USC from there. So I right, that's right. went to USC for three years and then graduated from USC. Right. When you're a little kid, were you more academic or were you more sports-minded? Sports-minded. Were you more? Were you always the tallest kid in class? No. When did you get your height? Well, growing up in Southern California and then traveling a lot, but starting in Southern California, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of the uh, linemen for professional football come from that area. So. <laughs> You're it's not, the oranges. If it's you're the six, oranges. I'm six foot seven, and six foot seven is not necessarily the, the tallest biggest, right, in Southern sure. California. Um, so that's I was true. tall. I was always tall, yeah. uh, but not the tallest. But you had other people in the class that also rivaled you. There would be a couple. Right. There would be a couple more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always from, fun because you need to have some challenges. Yeah. I'm, you need to have something Cal to play against. That's true. I was from Cal I'm from California too, but I always thought I was short because I didn't get my height until I got and my first year college. I'm six feet now, so six, okay. six one on a good day. That's a good height. If I step well. But that's not tall in California. Because I was I was five nine for the longest and then maybe I made it to five ten in high school. And when I got into college I'd shot up to six feet. Oh there you go. So but that was similar a, I grew in college. Yeah, so I, I was six foot five when I went to the American school in Japan. Okay. And then I grew two more inches in college. But that was one of the tallest the American school. The kids, for some reason, travelers don't get too tall. We had, <laughs> we had in my team, Ed Zatorsky. Do you know Ed Zatorsky? Oh, I kind of remember him. Yeah, yeah, His yeah. family's also with IBM. Right. And, uh, and my, my, my father uh, was not in IBM Japan. He was running Asia for IBM, but the location for Asia was Tokyo. Right. So I was lucky enough to go to the American School in Japan. But Ed Zatorsky was on my team, okay. and he was also six foot five. Right. Yeah, we just he met recently and took a photo together. Just the together. two of you, just the two of you, yeah. Uh, we, we were the tallest on the team. Right. They right. call us the Twin Towers. Right, 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 right. Because they built the Twin Towers right after that, the um, Aoyama Twin Towers. I did not know that. Yeah, they built okay. them right over there. Right Probably because time. of us. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> they saw you walking down the street or something. Yeah. So, so you were more sports-minded as a kid. More sports-minded. What kind of sports did you like as a kid? I really liked water sports, uh, being growing up in college. Southern California, so I'd be out body surfing at L Street or you know the Wedge, okay, as it's right, known, right. Uh, or on the other side of the jetty at Big Corona, right. uh, or finding my way down to Little Corona, uh, which you have to go back through the uh, through the Ivy and uh, you know some fences to get down to the, the coast. Right. Um, Were nice, you riding nice your bicycle beaches. or did you have a skateboard? Skateboard, yeah, okay. Yeah. Bicycle sometimes, but mainly right. skateboard. Right. Okay. 
Did you get your license before you came over here? Because I think 15 and a half. For driving? In California. Yeah, car? driving in California. I well, did have a license. Well, you can do in a half, yeah. I did have a license to drive uh, from mm -hmm. the age of 15 and a half, I That's believe. what it is, right, right. And uh, after taking courses at school, and then you go take right. the driver's test. So you came over here with your license? I came over here with my license, okay. uh, which also provided me the opportunity to exchange it for a, a driver's license here. Right, at that time, yeah. right. And you had to take a simple test, right, a written right. test, I believe, not a right. driven test. Yeah. Wow, okay, so you like sports, and the sports you did basically in high school. Yes. It couldn't have been skateboarding and stuff. What was it? So I got into uh, playing baseball. Okay. Uh, so I played baseball in elementary school and middle school. What position did you like? Uh, I was very good at uh, center field, and uh, like the, I wanted to be a pitcher, but I ended up being a center fielder. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes third base. Right. Occasionally. And my dad was a very good baseball player, so I was trying to be like, you know, dad's a good baseball yeah. player, I'll be a baseball player. But your siblings, oh, you said you have how many siblings? Three. Three. Older brother, older sister, and younger brother. And you're all close. What about them? How are they in sports? Are they all, are you the tallest in the family, or are they just as tall as you are? I am the second tallest in the family. My younger brother is one inch taller. One inch taller, okay. Yeah, he's six foot eight. All right. Is he stocky, too? He is large. Okay. <laughs> from a standpoint of naturally strong. So he never lifted weights. He didn't need but to. I lifted weights a lot in college. USC, you know, we've got that football right. program that's got lots of money, so they have a very nice gym right. and a place to work out. So I would work out and get all the muscles and you know, even build out your neck. Right, right, right. And uh, one time he visited. I said, my brother's name is Matthew. I said, Matthew, why don't you try out some bench presses? And uh, he's never lifted in his life. And he was taking 250 pounds and lifting it like it was like nothing. nothing. And I said, oh, you've been practicing. So, no, that's the first time. What does, he, what does he do then? Does he, does he like farm work or something like that? Naturally big. Naturally strong. But he, but he had to do something somewhere. Was, you would think. But, but, he, not, but nothing, he just had it. Just natural strength. So where the origins go to? Do you know your family? Danish. Origin? You're Danish? Yes. Okay. You In speak? the 1870s, my great-great-grandfather came from a little island off of the oh, coast so you of have that Denmark okay. and made it all the way to Vancouver right. in the 1870s. And then they came down. And then not until 1949, <laughs> uh, when my father and my grandparents moved to uh, Torrance, California. So he actually was born in Vancouver. He was born in Vancouver. Okay. Moved at the age of eight. Did uh, he have a lot of siblings too? Uh, no, only child. So it was your grandfather you said that was... Your grandfather, wait, your great-grandfather your grandfather? Your father's father? I should probably use a whiteboard. It'll probably make it easier maybe, for maybe, everyone. But I got you, but it was, yeah. So great-great-grandfather. Great-great-grandfather, yes. okay. And then he has, he has children. And then uh, my great-grandfather also has children. Had one child. Uh, I believe there were five siblings uh, that my great-great-grandfather had. Right, but you... I said my great-grandfather had. Yeah, maybe we do need a blackboard. We probably, probably do. <laughs> but your great-grandfather had one child, your father. That's correct. That's my what I'm grandfather. saying. That's, right, yeah. your grandfather had one child. That's right. Okay. Mainly probably because he was a uh, in the, the Royal Canadian Air Force uh, in World War II. Oh, and okay. at those times, he, he volunteered in 1939 because Canada joined the war before America did. And so he was in the Royal Canadian Air Force in southern Europe, northern Africa, uh, during World War II, from okay. 1939 to 1945 uh, in the Air Force, the Royal Canadian Air Force. Did you ever, did you ever, did you know him? Did you get to yeah, meet him well. before he passed? Yeah, very well. When I was going to college, I would spend time every weekend with my grandparents. How old were you when he passed? Uh, Twenty. Oh, wow. Three, maybe? And how old was he when he when you passed? I think he was 79. Oh, that's young then. Okay. But you did get to know, that's neat. Oh, wow. Nice. Do you think he had an influence on your life? I think that my, uh, 
you know, my, my father and my, my grandparents and my grandmother as well, a wonderful woman. Uh, so they're, uh, Vodi is the grandfather and Mabel is my grandmother. They're very lovely people. And uh, they're always very, uh, they're always teaching me things. I remember going to college, uh, my grandmother taught me how to make hospital corners uh, for the bed um, so I could, you know, make the bed uh, with nice hospital corners. And also she taught me how to sew. She said, you know, if your clothing ever runs down, you need to sew, you teach how to sew. Mm -hmm. And then my grandfather taught me how to fold a suit jacket so that it wouldn't get wrinkled when it's in a suitcase. And so, you know, you punch the arms through the shoulders mm -hmm. and you, you roll backwards, inside out. And so he taught me those things. So they both taught me things as I headed off to be an independent person. Did you do that person. with all of, did they do that with all their grandchildren or were you just I believe to be so. the lucky one because you were the youngest? I'm not the youngest. I have a younger brother. You have a younger brother. I mean, I'm the third. I think everyone got the lessons. Uh, <laughs> I just have to remember the ones that I got. How many How many years difference between you and your oldest brother? Everybody's about three years apart. Okay, so three years. Yeah. So it's kind of planned. I believe so. Yeah. I wasn't I there at the time, Dad. You didn't have to be in the time, but they probably did. I think my parents even planned this. Okay. coming through at the time. My two younger sisters are born the same day, two years apart. Uh, that sounds... My mother said she planned, you know, but that was luck. That was luck yeah. somehow or another. That's nice that they're so close it's to really, their birthday as well. It's something else. Okay. And so, so three kids you have or? No, no. I have, who, me? I mean your siblings. I have um, one older brother and two younger sisters. There's four okay. of us. So same. Yeah. Okay. But I'm nice. not the third. I'm the second. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, you, so are your younger siblings taller? No. My brother's taller. He's 6'3", six, 6'3", three, six, three, six, And he's older. He's older. Interesting. Usually the younger yeah. siblings are the ones that get the well, there's, there's a reason for that, too. Well, they get fed more. When you got into high school, did you have anything that you focused on more than sports? You were pretty good. You were playing baseball. No, I was... At the uh, American school now. No, I'm not playing baseball at the American school. Okay. Um, I could have. And, you know, you, you go through life and you say, oh, things I wish I had done. One of the things I wish I had done is to actually continue playing baseball. Uh, but I did not. I only played uh, American football and basketball at the American school in Japan. Oh, so in fact, that's where I learned how to play basketball. Okay. Uh, after football one day, one of the football players, who's still a friend of mine to this day, uh, he said, his name is Peter Leinenbach, he said, let's go to the gym, and um, you might know him because he went to Nishimachi, but uh, Peter, who's from California as well, yeah. uh, he said, here's a basketball, and I sort of took it with two hands and I threw it at the backboard, and it was really awful. And he said, well, we got some work to do here, but you're six foot five, so we need you on the team. So that I learned how to play basketball by having my grandfather send me Los Angeles Lakers videos. So I'd watch Los Angeles Lakers videos while I learned how to try to play basketball Is at right? the American School in Japan. But we uh, won some tournaments and okay. had some fun. So And then Ed was there, my other twin tower. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we, had a, we had a really good team. That's good. That's, yeah. good. that's good. So when you left the American School, you graduated from the American School, right? I did. And you went to Whittier College. You yeah. went there for one uh, year. One year. Then you got into USC, but did you plan to go to USC? Is that something you wanted to do? I had actually looked at the different schools in Southern California that provided business education because I really wanted to go to business uh, undergraduate. And um, I looked in UCLA only had a program for economics. And so and it would take about a year and a half to change. So I didn't want to go into UCLA for economics and take the year and a half or three semesters. So I looked at USC and they provided an undergraduate business program that I could get into the following year if I had good enough grades. And I had very good grades from Whittier to make the transition to USC my sophomore year. Oh, what you plan, what you want to be? I mean, you want to take business classes. Entrepreneurship. I wanted to build companies. and You thought that? I've always had a, a knack for trying to think of things to build. And even from a very young age, um, I was in something, uh, I was in the Indian Guides in Southern California, and then a Junior Achievement 
Uh, Junior Achievement was a program that helped kids learn how to uh, make business plans and then actually go down to the registrar's office to start your own company with $1. And so you can get your own, you know, founding a company. And what was this? What state was this in? California. California, okay. Yeah, so Junior Achievement. Wow. I actually joined Junior Achievement years later in Japan because of a gentleman named Takio Shina, uh, who used to be the president and chairman of IBM Japan, mm -hmm. and uh, a friend of my father's. Uh, he actually encouraged me to become part of Junior Achievement here in Japan as well. Which I they did. still have it here? Um, they do have it here. I was only a member for one year, okay. um, and uh, but they do have it here. It focuses more on older people, though. And I was enjoying the fact that they helped me when I was very young. I was only 10 or 11 years old. And so here in Japan, it's more high school and college. And so I think that entrepreneurship can be taught from even a younger age. Okay. And so that's how I got into wanting to be a business person, wanting to learn how to write business plans, and entrepreneurship. And Did it matter what kind of business that you went into? Did you have any particular decision? No. It didn't matter? It didn't matter if it was retail, fast-moving consumer, or you know, software, or... You know, it didn't really matter. It was just so about getting good people together to build nice things. All right, so you graduated with a BA? I did. All right. And then what was your first business? Or what uh, was the first company you worked in, whichever? So the, college. the first thing I did was I went to my father and I said, can you send me the American Chamber of Commerce uh, membership director? And so he sent me the membership director and I looked through it and I found 100 companies that I wanted to send my... Uh, you know, my CV, if you will, my, from, from university, and so internships and part-time jobs, that kind of thing. And so I asked the business school, undergraduate business school uh, dean, could I use his office, because in those days they used faxes, could I fax uh, some, some resumes out? And he said, yeah, sure, just go use my office. They have doors open. I said, great. And so I went and sent off 100 faxes to Japan. And uh, I'm not sure that he understood I was trying to send them to Japan. So they didn't release my diploma at USC until after I paid $284 bill. And so I, you know, that's okay. I paid the $284 and I got my diploma. And, um, but I sent off 100 faxes and I got 55 responses. And 55 companies said, when you get to Tokyo, please come see us. And there was companies like Goodyear, uh, you know, Maybelline, uh, you know, uh, Corning, Dow Corning, stuff like yeah. that. I would, I would, you know, get these opportunities to go see people. And they weren't offering me jobs. They were offering me a chance to meet. And during that process, um, I was dropping off a letter for a friend of my father's from Southern California to a business person here um, who runs a software company. And so I stopped off to give him that paper. And when I was leaving, he said, hey, kid, what are you doing here? I said, I'm going through the process of finding a job right now. I just graduated from college. And uh, he had gone to USC as well. Um, there was that connection. He said, well, what about my software company? And I said, well, perhaps. Uh, right now I'm thinking about taking a job at Sumitomo Metals. It uh, looks like they're going to be interested in me and give me a job offer. And he said, well, the problem with that, if you take a job in Tokyo, is many of the smart Japanese college graduates around you are going to use you as their English teacher. Um, so if you really want to learn Japanese, because it sounds like your goal, he was asking, what do you want to focus on while you're here right out of college? I said, I want to kind of speak Japanese fluently. He said, you should get away from Tokyo. So if you come work for my company, you can go work in one of the places outside of Tokyo, and that way you'll be able to learn Japanese faster. And so that's what happened. He had me meet a bunch of uh, general managers and managers, and I ended up going to work for this uh, software company in Osaka um, uh, in July of uh, 1990. Okay. Right after the bubble, or the bubble was, was breaking. I think right that now. was the last class right. of, bubble of bubble of hires. <laughs> I think there were 700 people, and they had just hired 100. Right. So percentage-wise for their company, it was a large number. That's right. Wow. So you learned Kansai Ben. How long were you there? Well, um, I thought, because I went to high school here in Tokyo, 
I know the difference between, not intimately, but I knew that there's a general standard language, and I also know that there's different pockets different dialects, of dialects. Right. And so I decided that I don't want to speak Kansai Ben. I'll hear Kansai Ben, but I'll respond in Hyojin Go or standard language. So I never went out of my way to speak Kansai Ben. The only foreigners I saw that spoke Kansai Ben were on TV. Okay. And so I looked at that and people on TV and people did offer me some opportunities to be on TV. Uh, I think TBS, Fuji Television, you know, we're talking back in 1990, 1991, 92. Mm -hmm. So in those days, I didn't want those opportunities because I didn't think a career on TV here for foreigners, it didn't look like it was a nice career. I wanted to stick in business and that was my focus to be a business person. Mm -hmm. So I spoke in only standard Japanese language, mm -hmm. even though I was in the concept. That's smart. Well, you had the, you had the fortune of having been here before and knowing the difference. Correct. Because or I so would be speaking Kansai Ben right now. That's right, right. You would be. You see, Nasubi. Although I was only there for <laughs> I was only there for a year and a half right. before I came back to Tokyo. Okay. So the bulk of my time has been Tokyo. Only a year and a half just out of college was in the mm -hmm. Kansai. Well, did it help your Japanese any? Because you, you your purpose was to learn more. And he said that's why you'd be in this company to send you outside of Tokyo. It, it did help. Um, and my colleagues did really want me to speak Kansai Ben. And they, they would did. spend go overtime trying to get me to learn different words. Of course, you can learn some things, but you can still stick with your, your main okay. general language. Uh, but I had a little uh, system I used. The system I used, I would take 10 pieces of blank paper and put them in my top uh, suit pocket. And then if I heard a word three times during the day, I would write that down on one of the pieces of paper. And at the end of the day, go back to your small apartment and you'd have these 10 pieces of paper. If you had a word or part of a phrase or something, and I would look those up in dictionaries. And I would realize that if they've been said three times, if I heard them three times, they're being used a lot. If I only heard something one time, maybe even two times, it could be just an, you know, off, you know, off the, the cuff something that isn't used all the time. So I wanted to get language that's used all the time. So I would wait till I've heard it three times during the day, and I write that down. And years later, I found out that the optimal number of things words you can learn a day is sixteen. Apparently, someone just did a study on it. I don't know okay. Stanford or Harvard. Right, someone right, did a right, study okay. on it and said sixteen words per day are, are the optimal. Where'd you um, get the three? And so I was, I guess I was letting myself off the hook a little bit by only having 10 words. Right. But would you, would you get up with the three words a day hearing that? Who if I heard the it? same word, I just made that up myself. Oh, yourself, okay. So, you so if I heard it three times, then I know it's a word that's readily used, that's used often. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would decide to write on these 10 pieces of paper. Yeah. So See, I tried to learn how to read the Japanese newspaper, and I was able to read the Japanese newspaper after a while. And uh, my boss at the time, a very nice lady named Jitsukawa, um, she said to me, it's very rare to have a woman who was a general manager in 1990, um, but she was very good at her job and she sold a lot of software. So, uh, and she had hired me and she had said to me, you know, if you don't learn Japanese within six months, you'll have no chance at getting a bonus. And so I had some extra motivation <laughs> to learn Japanese. So that was very helpful of Ms. Jitsukawa. Yeah, that's nice. So after you finished Nosaka and you came back, what'd you do? So in Osaka, I was doing computer software. Right. And then uh, after about a year, I realized that this particular setup was not meant for me. And so I left the company and went to join a sports marketing company in Kobe. And I joined the sports marketing company in Kobe. And one of the projects, um, I actually was trying to start a baseball card company, being entrepreneurial. Okay. Uh, while I was in the Kansai, I tried to do a, a cranberry juice business, a popcorn business, and a uh, baseball card business. Baseball cards are very popular in America. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can, you know, Michael Jordan's got a good card and, you know, these kinds of things. I'll, I'll do a baseball card business. But I don't know anything about baseball. So I remembered back to uh, my father when I first came here in high school. There was, within the ecosystem of Tokyo, uh, there was a woman named Jane uh, Yonemine. 
And her, her husband, Wally, was the first baseball player after World War II, who was a San Francisco 49ers running back. And you know, he, then he played baseball as a touring team. And the, the Giants picked him up here to play baseball here. And he was, became very famous here and did very well. I think he was a scout well into his, his 80s. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went to see them. And they were nice enough to bring me to the Tokyo American Club, which I was not a member of yet. I'd been a member in high school through my father, but I wasn't a member by myself yet. And so I came back up there, they took me to lunch, and um, I remember Wally showed me a little picture of Jesus that he had in his wallet and uh, before we started lunch. And that was very nice. You know, mm -hmm. He took the time to do that. And then we sat and talked. I said, I don't know anything about baseball. Can you teach me? And they said, well, actually, you need to get back on the train, go back to the Kansai, because it's actually a, a foreign person, an American person in the Kansai who's already doing baseball cards with a company called the Baseball Magazine Company. And so you should talk to them. It's affiliated with the Yomiuri uh, club. And so I said, oh, thank you very much. So I went back to meet that person and they offered me a job working in Kobe and sports management. And through that, um, I ended up being told that I can move back to Tokyo um, to help open up a new sports bar and restaurant in Nogizaka. Mm. And so uh, I did that. And uh, along with my colleague, uh, his name is Osamu Kobayashi, uh, the two of us uh, were the, in charge of starting up and hiring the people for the sports, um, you know, sports bar and restaurant in Nogizaka area, past what used to be the Japan Self Forces, which is now Midtown, right uh, down the end there by Nogizaka. Okay, by and, the park. Uh, yeah, and some of the people we hired, one of them ended up being the head of globally, an Australian gentleman, head of globally for Subway sandwiches, and another person ended up being uh, the president of a, a large PR firm out of New York. Okay, and so we actually we were very good at hiring oh, apparently, right. and, uh, and that was very good. And after a little while of doing that. Um, I actually was offered a job playing professional basketball here in Japan uh, where I played three years for Tokyo Marine Fire Insurance. Uh, I played basketball here in the Industrial League. I never knew that, really. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm most well noted for importing the no-look pass. Before I started playing basketball in the professional leagues here, they did not have no-look passes. So literally the first practice, I had the ball going on court, uh, because remember, at USC, I'm not the tallest. I'm short. We had wait, people wait. seven foot two, six wait, foot wait, eleven. Wait, 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 wait. You know, Chris Monk, Alan right. Pollard. We had some very tall people at USC. Right. And so I'm I'm a short person at six foot seven. So I'm used to carrying the ball, and and so I brought the ball down, and I looked to the left, the basket straight ahead, right. and I passed the ball to the right, looking to the left, and I hit my teammate in the back of the head, and the coach blew the whistle, stopped the practice, and said, "What are you doing?" I said, "No, actually, we should be asking my teammate why he's not looking, because anybody who's in front of the ball." needs to always be looking to receive the ball, of yeah. course. I mean, of course, that's natural for us, but at the time in Japan, that Nobody was their normal thing. It. So I, I imported the no-look pass to Japan. All right, all right. In, in 1992. See, you heard it first here. Now, don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was an absolute blast. I played three years, and they, they paid me money to play basketball, and I really enjoyed that. Did you ever think you'd be playing basketball here in Japan? My goodness. I did and you not. just learn how to play basketball in Japan. I did you not never expect before. to play basketball professionally in Japan. <laughs> that was, uh, was beyond my imagination at the time. So what, so what? you didn't put off your entrepreneur streak at that time. You were still thinking of things to do while you are playing basketball. That's correct. So what were you doing? So at the time, I was focused on, on basketball, but your mind's going to think about different right. things. And uh, finally... I decided I want to go be part of this startup ecosystem in Tokyo, which I tried to do very lonely uh, down in the Kansai region. There wasn't a lot of people to talk to, at least that I knew of. But in Tokyo, there's more people to talk to. So I started talking to different people, and that culminated um, after I stopped playing basketball. In my third year, uh, one of our 
teammates got injured. And I asked the coach, are we going to rehabilitate them, bring them back into the fold? And he said, well, no, he'll be let go and, and we'll move on from that relationship. Shoot him in. <laughs> and so I said, well, just hypothetically, if, if I get injured, are we going to rehabilitate me or are we not going to do that? And he said, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And so I took that as a hint to open up the newspaper and I opened up the Japan Times. And I looked in the wanted section for uh, a job, and there it was, um, Gallup, the research and polling company, and market research company, and employee engagement company was looking for someone to do sales. So I approached them in Kamiacho, their offices at the time, and they hired me in uh, 1995 uh, to be their salesperson to go around to different multinational corporations to sell market research. Because you were Gallup, I remember that. And and I knew at you. At that were... time, yeah. I, I learned from my predecessors, who were members of the Tokyo American Club. I said, uh, you know, what should I you know, do here? Because I think you guys are members. I should probably become a member of Tokyo American Club. And they said, we totally agree. So let's ask the president, Mr. Hidaka. And he also agreed. Uh, and so I became a member of the Tokyo American Club in 1995. That's when I met you. That's when I, that's when I met you as an adult. I probably saw you at ESIJ, but I didn't know you. What year did you come well, to actually, ESIJ? It was, it was Vicky Green, if you know Vicky, of course. And uh, I thought it was you, but it might have been, I'm trying know. to think who else it was. It was either you was and Vicky were my actual sponsors that wrote my sponsorship. It, had to be. it probably was me, yeah. Yeah. So I was very yeah, thankful yeah. to both of you for that. Yeah. Uh, back in 1995, That's I was right. a young kid becoming a member of the American Club. No, I wasn't at the school at that time because I left there in 80. But I was still around the school at 82. Oh, okay. Because I taught there from 77 to 80. Then I oh. taught at Sacred Heart. At the um, nursery kindergarten, Nakamaga. So I remember meeting you at Sacred Heart because uh, my sons at the time were in your gymnastics class. But you were, wait, when you came here. As you the already... location. Oh, okay, as yeah, the location. Just, right I remember now. the location right, being right. used with Sacred Heart. Right. Kind of like when my kids were playing basketball. But they weren't in my, they weren't in my program, were they? They never did my program. They did at Sacred Heart. They did? Yes. So I remember dropping the them summer, off. Over the summer or just over uh, the weekend? On the weekend. How did I you believe do it? it was during the weekend, but we I okay. dropped them off to Constantly, at Sacred Heart. Okay. Just like in basketball, I dropped right. them off at Nishimachi, but would you, even though they were the Tokyo American Club League. But it may not have been me teaching, because I had, at one time, 25 staff. Oh, it was definitely not you as the main person. Okay, right. No, you were there, but I you were... I came every now and then, right. I was moving yeah. around. Because I had people doing it, because we had, we had Sacred Heart, we had Nishimachi, we had ASIJ, we had YS, we had St. Moore. We had a lot of local, most of the international All schools. All of the international schools. Yeah, we had a lot of those international schools, except for St. Mary's. Okay. Yeah. Well, that can be overlooked. So. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. I, Remember, ASIJ, so. Right, 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 right. right. So, we appreciated ASIJ that you helped us be more advanced in gymnastics. Because I remember us talking here at the American Club, and I think it was after we came to this new one, 2011 or something, you told me about your sons. You said they made a game. They made their own software. They made some sort of game at the time. And you were telling me about that, and you were just the proud dad. <laughs> Let me show you. Well, my... Uh, my sons, uh, Sean Nelson and Brad Nelson, uh, they didn't really like bedtime, you know, bedtime story time to be called bedtime story time. So we changed it to um, scientific theory time. And <laughs> scientific theory time, we talk stories about, you know, digital everything or right. you know, different things, uh, universe, whatever we want to talk about, whatever what the kids want to talk about. And one time, uh, my son Brad said, why don't we make a video game? And I said, great, I've got this friend who works over at Google. You know him, maybe he can help. He said, no, no, I want your other friends. Who's that guy? Uh, Chi, Urnamachi, and uh, Masa, Aihara. Can I get those two guys? I said, I can ask them, we'll see. And so Chi, who went to USC, Masa, who went to USC, would come over every weekend on a Saturday or Sunday and spend an hour or two 
teaching uh, Sean and Brad how to make video games. And this was around the time of, at first, Brad wanted to do it for the Nintendo double screen, because that's what he was using. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said, no, um, when he learned about this, the, the fees you have to pay for your annual license to be able to sell a Nintendo double screen software game, it was very uh, high. Mm -hmm. And for Apple, it was only $100. So this is for Apple One phones. They're creating a game, uh, Sean and Brad, with Chi and Masa. And uh, that was called um, Super Smash. Okay. And Super Smash, which is different from what you'll see online now. Super Smash is, you know, Super Mario Brothers and different branded names. Oh, and yeah. This was very different. They actually came to the Tokyo American Club and they looked at the squash courts and they were trying to build a squash court game. And in building that squash court game, they realized that all the different elements of a squash game is too complicated and it would make the software too heavy. And now we're on a, you know, iPhone 14. iPhone 1 didn't have the capacity to allow for the memory to... Uh, be quick enough using all those different elements. They had to make the game more simple. And so making the game more simple with Chia Masa's help, uh, they ended up making a game that kind of looks like Breakout. I don't know if you remember Breakout was up and down, mm -hmm. kind of like after Pong, where you'd break off bricks mm -hmm. of the ceiling and then you get right. through the ceiling and all right. that with your Pong ball. Right, right. Um, they made it lengthwise like a squash court. So you actually use your finger to touch the screen. It would send a ball down the alley, if you will, the 3D image alley, and then you break bricks at the end of the level, 25 different levels. Okay, right. The balls would go faster and faster. But right. they were the first ones, apparently, that ever made it multiple balls to be able to send at the same time. So if you touch the screen five times, you can send five balls off into the screen. And apparently that was the most of the time that anyone had ever done. Wow. Um, so they had a lot of fun with that. They made about $5,000 right. uh, through iPhone. Yeah. Uh, sales around the world, okay. so they were very happy. Did they stay software? Are they still doing that? No, they yeah. tried one more game, which is a fantasy football uh, simplified game mm -hmm. where you only pick a, a quarterback, a running back, and a tight end. Mm -hmm. um, and once a week, you pick that and you have fun with your friends. But that didn't take off as much. Okay. All right. yeah. So what are they doing today, your sons? Uh, so my older son uh, is working in retail, mm -hmm. and here in Japan, and then my younger son is working in banking uh, back in America. Okay. And they're okay. twenty-seven and twenty-five years old. Married. Uh, they are not married. Okay. All right. Because I have four sons. You have two. Well, I also have a baby girl now. I know. I know. But I was talking about your boys. Yeah. I mean, you have two boys. They have, they have a sister now. Right. They do. She's yeah. just, she. she's not even walking. You just had her well, last month. Five weeks ago. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Month before last. Uh, April. Late That's April. right. Yeah, in April. Yeah. That's right. Congratulations yes. again. Beautiful baby again. girl. Got yeah. very lucky. She looks like her mother. <laughs> and I saw her. I saw your wife. When she came in at the Tokyo, at the at the West Hotel, that's right. And I met her for the first time. Just be, and, and I think your daughter had her feet hanging out or something. No, she had her hands hanging out. Hanging out. She was ready. No, but she was about ready to have her then. She was just about to give birth. You told me she's going to have. Yeah, I think the next week she was due. That's correct. That's right. That's correct. The very next week she was due. And your son wow. was picking up his new baby. He sure was. Did you see it? Oh, you did, I did you? see it. Oh, you came out to see it. It was dark blue. Maybe no, it's black. It. it's black. It's black? Okay. It's black. It was a very nice Ferrari. It sure was. It looked like F8 I think I probably took 10 pictures. F8 Spider, yeah. He's so happy with that. He really is. I'm telling everybody. That's his first car. He looked car. very happy. His first car. He carried himself well. Yeah. Oh, he did. He didn't, he let it, didn't let it show too he much. Didn't show. No, he said this is not a big thing because all those friends have them. Okay. And have other cars better or whatever because he belongs to a group like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's something you did here. You were CEO of a company. And you took it public, and I don't think there's ever been another foreigner or been a foreigner at that time that ever did that. How did you go you. about doing that? Thank you. Uh, the company is called Value Commerce, mm -hmm. and it's still around today. It's still a public company today. It's now majority owned by Yahoo Japan. Uh, they originally uh, approached uh, me in 2004 and said uh, we'd like to do a partnership. 
So I went to meet with the president of Yahoo Japan in 2004, and uh, that turned into a longer conversation where I said, I'm going public. And at those time, uh, at that time, 2004, there was not that many foreigners. Uh, I went and actually looked at it. Uh, I talked to Tokyo Stock Exchange. I talked to other business people, and I said, who are the foreigners who've ever gone public here? And it turns out it's a woman who went to my high school. So I went to the American School in Japan, as I've, I've mentioned, and in there, there's a woman named Merle Okawada. And Merle Okawada uh, took a company public in 1987. And so she was the first foreigner, the first woman, and the first American to take a company public. So I think I'm within a handful, and I'm probably like number five or something that's like right, that, that's right. of the foreigners as the CEO of a Japanese company that have gone public. And I went public in 2006, mm. so well after mm -hmm. Merle did it in 1987. That's something. Um, but that and came on the back of this uh, nice opportunity where Yahoo Japan showed interest in us and they wanted to buy the company. Mm -hmm. And so I said, um, we had to negotiate and discuss the price in that. And I would talk to shareholders. This whole process took about a year. What was very helpful in that, though, is the fact that I was always preparing to go public. And I think that helped the deal with Yahoo Japan. From the very beginning. Uh, our shareholders uh, always had that in their mind. That it would be nice. So you knew that when they brought either you Either going to go public right. or we were going to. Just, uh, just well, I was there as one of the original five people that were in 1999, uh, officially joined in January uh, 22nd of 2000 as the chief operating officer mm -hmm. of Value Commerce. But tell uh, us what Value Commerce does. What is it? What kind of company Japan's is it? first affiliate marketing company. Okay. So affiliate marketing, when you take it online, is when we, with our servers, our technology, we distribute ads for companies like Sony or you know, any, you know Rakuten or Yahoo. We distribute these ads to other websites, and there's millions of websites and blogs, and, and you have your own right. you know, blog and that as well, and podcast. But so we send advertisements to those people who have signed up on our portal, because they want to make money by redirecting consumers that will look at the advertisement that we're sending to their website or blog, and then continue on to the Sonys and the Rakutens and the Yahoo, and they make a purchase. When that purchase is made, we all share in the commission. And so it's a commission platform to help sponsor more sales and to help smaller websites and smaller businesses make money. Wow. And that's called affiliate marketing. Yeah. And we were the very first to do that in Japan. Yeah. Uh, the very first company to do that was Amazon in 1992. Uh, people may remember there was a little Amazon button. That's right. If you pushed on that's that and go from a website to Amazon and bought a book, Amazon would give 7% or 5%, something like that, back to the owner of the website who redirected the person to Amazon, and that's called affiliate marketing. And Jeff Bezos is the person who created it. He actually has the patent for it. And so from there, there were some companies in America, Linkshare, Commission Junction, in uh, New York and Santa Barbara that came out. And there was a company in, in, uh, in uh, Sw uh, Sweden called Trade Doubler, and they came out around 1998. And then we came out in 1999 as the first in Japan to do affiliate marketing. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, six years later, I was able to take it public as the CEO of the company. Uh, I became the CEO 2001, right. March, and then ran the company as a CEO uh, for a decade. Okay. And uh, But was lucky enough to be one of the foreigners to yeah. take the company public. So that experience, right. unique experience. In fact, the Stock Exchange from, and the asked me, yeah. do you want to be in this every day? I said, well, what is the norm? And they said, usually 50% of the CEOs want to be part of the daily process, and 50% do not. They leave it to their CFO or their teams. And mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, it's a first-time I'm doing this, I would love to do it. So I decided to do it with my team on a daily basis, going through the eight hours of interviews for six weeks before going public. It was a very interesting yeah. process. Yeah, but I look forward to helping other entrepreneurs learn about this process so I can help them as they go on their journey if they want to go public. 
Oh, that's beautiful. So, and you're doing that now. Have you helped anyone do that yet? So, I'm giving advice uh, okay. to different entrepreneurs to help them look out for the stumbling blocks that they might not see coming up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I've had, you know, my own mentors that have taught me over the years before I went public. And so, I'm trying to pay that forward and share with other entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, how they can be successful and not worry about the things six months and 12 months from now or two years from now that they can do now to make their life much easier. I see. Okay, that's wonderful. What are some of the businesses, how many businesses, have you ever counted how many businesses you've, you've been involved with on a regular basis that you either made money from or helped made, make money up so, to date? How many would you There's say? a couple of different things to you know, unpack there. Okay, um, let's go for it. number of companies I don't think I've ever sat down to count them all out. Um, and I'm just trying to help pay it forward because a lot of people have helped me. And so through that, uh, you meet a lot of people who want help. And so you get involved as an advisor, board member, and different things with different companies. So right now, uh, I'm helping an internet service provider here in Japan mm -hmm. called GLBB, right. uh, which is originally out of Okinawa, uh, but it's now has offices all around Japan. And they're providing both a business-to-business -business solution and a business-to-consumer solution. And consumers use that for internet connectivity when they want to have faster internet in their apartments or for businesses that want to have more secure or faster internet solutions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm helping that company right now. Uh, I'm their chairman. Okay. And um, I'm also helping another company, uh, which is called CurveGrid, which is a blockchain software company. Um, I've been helping them as an advisor for three years. Um, and there's a, another company um, that uh, you know I've had for a while now. It's called uh, Weatherly uh, Japan, which I have a partner. We're 50-50 partners in this TV shopping and uh, online shopping business okay and uh, that helps uh, with people who uh, want to help with sleep so we have you know something called snore circle we've got weighted blankets for kids some pillow products and some different things like that that we sell uh, right. through a company you can find it at uh, weatherly.jp right. and then I have my own consulting company um, that also does projects like for instance with the Kelly Slater Wave company that's through my consulting company now I know a couple of people that have done things like that because you know also Dan Stako I remember the name. Yeah. I remember him being on the board. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't aware that he was doing those businesses. Though. Yeah, he does. He does. There's a lot of people here that are doing a lot of cool things. A lot things. of people, they sure are. I think even Greg Carley does a lot of things like that, or used to. I think he did toys or something, a little bit different. But he I had, believe he was doing retail, um, also some online uh, okay. sales, and I believe you're right. He was very right. successful at that. He did, He was. As a matter of fact, but he was very close chest with it. Okay. He wouldn't share it with hardly anyone, because I remember talking to him a long time ago. Well, he gave me a pair of couplings. Okay, did like he? 20 years ago. Very nice pair of Never give me a pair. <laughs> I think they're on the way. <laughs> <laughs> they probably are. I think he probably faxed them to me. That was the problem. <laughs> anyway. So those companies that you're working with right now, so there's about four you just mentioned that you're really close with, five. Oh, there's also an artificial intelligence company um, that's called Memory. Okay. And Memory uh, is a way to teach people faster and help them remember things longer. Mm -hmm. And so I've been helping that company as an advisor as well. And sometimes I'm also a shareholder in these companies, so I have a, another reason why I want them to be highly successful. Mm -hmm. um, there's another company called Money Tree. I'm not sure you're familiar I'm familiar with that. that. I'm familiar Paul with Chapman Tree, yes. and uh, Jonathan Epstein. So you're working with them? Uh, so I'm, I'm a shareholder of their company. Okay, I see. Yeah. But I'm always hoping that these companies you've invested in do well. Oh, there's another one called Zehitomo. Right. Um, you know Jordan Fisher. No, I don't. Um, they've done name. very well. Uh, okay. Hopefully that will also be a very successful company. All right. Go on. Yeah. No, well, there, I, keep on. Keep on. Keep <laughs> on. Keep on. There, there's more. Uh, right. But I'm looking for this IP Nexus. 
right. which was doc started by Dr. Uh, Hidenero Nioka. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that company does well as too. It's uh, right. very nice. They've decided to be like a LinkedIn type portal for intellectual property right. to help entrepreneurs when they're developing intellectual property. They need to know what to do with patents. And there's also other people who want to see what's going on with patents. Right. Um, but the one nice thing about um, Dr. Nioka is he wants to make sure that it's always done for the good. He doesn't want to have people suing each other over patents. He wants people to be able to use their patents and find each other in different languages. Can you imagine if you're uh, speaking Spanish and you're a scientist and you've created a patent, but you want to talk to someone in Japan about your semiconductors and the patents you've done with that? Perhaps you can't talk in the same language, so you can use this portal to work with the different languages and different cultures. Oh, it, it translates it for you in some way? That's correct. It okay. yeah. It's basically a portal to get good, like-minded people together to look at intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Did you get involved with cryptocurrency directly yourself? Are you involved with that? You didn't mention something doing something with that, but I mean, do you do that? Uh, the well? first time I, I started hearing about it was in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. And the first time uh, I s slowed down to actually listen was in 2018. Uh, and then in 2019, I started to realize uh, that perhaps, and of course, anyone has their opinion about cryptocurrency and that, I'm not a, a huge believer in all the different types of cryptocurrency. Uh, I do think that Bitcoin has a very nice chance uh, of doing well in the future. And I don't think people are, are going about using some of the things that Bitcoin can offer, uh, like the Lightning Network. I think that can be built out a lot better um, for general use. Um, but I think those things are coming. Nice. I think we'll sit back and watch that. And also the governments are all right. now about to do their own. Uh, currencies. So I think there's well, they, a lot for us to all learn. One thing I heard about crypto, because we've gotten heavily involved in it, my family, and the thing is, it's the platforms that they set up. Mm -hmm. Even if the governments get involved, they already have the platform. Mm -hmm. So they can't, they're not going to be able to take over what's already been done. Yes. However, um, well, for instance, Polygon right now just right. had a relationship Polygon, with right. uh, U.S. telecoms right. uh, carriers. Right. So they right. started to become more mainstream. Well, XRP is still in litigation and stuff because they want to get rid of them, but who's going to duplicate what they have? No one can. The platform. That's right. They don't have can't do it XRP. Well, that's why I think that CurveGrid is so interesting, the company I've been an advisor for for three years, okay. because they can work with all of these. And at the right? same point, they can also provide companies with the blockchains that they need. Uh, and they're also a Japanese corporation, which I find fascinating, even though they're run by two Canadians. So a lot more foreigners here these days that are doing projects as, as Japanese companies. That's true. Brad, before I end this podcast, there's always a question I like to ask. Knowing what you know now and all the experiences you've had, if you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Brian Nelson and give him advice, how old would he be and what advice would you give him? He'd be seven years old and it would be to uh, always spend more time listening with a high quality listening skills uh, to your parents and to your uh, relatives but focusing more on listening and sort of, you know, not going your own way with everything. Because I kind of would always go my own way. And I look back now and, you know, I told you I talked to my father three or four times a week. You know, if I had just listened to some of those things when I was a younger person, I probably would have had a, a different path uh, open up in front of me that would have been more clear. So learning from my mistakes of my parents and my peers oh. and family. I think that would be the advice to myself. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lance. Really appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed. <laughs>